Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, a place to share new ideas, speak freely, and continuously find ways to live our best lives. And now your host, Tim Stoddart. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. Welcome to Tim Stodds FM. Thank you so much for joining me. Great show this week. Great interview. I just got finished recording it. I'm, I'm really, really excited to put this out there for you guys. I think it's a extremely important subject and one that doesn't get talked about enough. So before we get started, I want to take a moment to invite you all to check out the Tim Stodds Academy. I've been working for months to try to put together a membership site that provides featured content, VIP uh, newsletters and and VIP blog content, uh, restricted access videos and audio content for people that are looking for that little bit extra in life, that are looking for something that's going to give them that, that boost that they need to continue to be inspired and continue to be motivated uh, in all areas of their life. So yeah, we're going to talk about uh, some business and marketing and entrepreneurship, but we're also going to talk about health and fitness. We're going to talk about emotional health and, and making sure that through all of the hustle and bustle in life, we maintain our sense of purpose and we continue to live with some serenity because ultimately, what's the point of, of working so hard if we can't live uh, the lives that make us feel good? It's really cool. It's five bucks a month. It's $50 for the year. Uh, you're going to get access to all of the courses. It's just, it's you, you, you pay your monthly bill, you get everything. There's no levels to this. It's $5 a month. It's, it's less than a Starbucks cup of coffee, right? So you get access to all the courses. You get uh, VIP access to the weekly blog and the weekly newsletter. We're going to have monthly kind of round table chats through Zoom so that we can build the community and everybody can help keep each other accountable. And you know what? If you don't want to pay five bucks a month, you say, hey, Tim, thanks for the invite, but no thanks. My podcast is always going to be free. My blog is always going to be free. Uh, You can join my free daily blog at timstods.com. So check it out. It's timstods.com slash academy. Let me know what you think. I'd really love your feedback. I've been working really, really hard on this thing. So I, I would... Definitely appreciate some insight. All right, now that we got that out of the way, my guest today is a gentleman named Mike Collins. Mike is the founder of a really exciting project called SugarAddiction.com. As many of you know, and as we'll talk about in this podcast, I've been involved with advocacy um, in the drug and alcohol recovery space for quite some time. It's a it's a subject matter that I feel very passionate about. And with that, you see people develop really terrible addictions to sugar. And I would even argue, as I do in this conversation with Mike, that the problem of sugar in our society is like probably worse than drugs and alcohol. It's, it's really terrible and and this is like a really exciting project for me because cutting sugar from your life is just going to help you in every single aspect of your life. There's no question about it. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Mike is a real cerebral and just and just introspective guy, and I love talking to him. And uh, 
And that's it. I'm going to shut up. So please help me welcome my friend, Mike Collins. Hey, Mike, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. How are you? Hey, Tim. I'm doing, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. That's an honor, man. That's an honor, yeah, well, man. we've we've become, uh, I would call us like pretty good friends over the last six months to a year since, since we've been talking and we, we kept talking shit that we were going to get you on, on the podcast so we can talk about some of the projects you got going on and, and sure. so people can learn a little bit more about your story and, and we finally got it together. So, so once again, man, I appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me, man. It's awesome. Yeah. So, um, we're going to kind of just jump right into this thing because most people that listen to my podcast and read my blog do so because of uh, the entrepreneurial message and like the web marketing message. But it's definitely no secret uh, to a lot of people that, that read my blog that I am an advocate for a lot of different um, health organizations, most specifically uh, helping people with drug and alcohol recovery and your work and your website is something similar, but I'm going to be so uh, bold to say in that the problem that you're trying to solve or that you're trying to help people out with is probably, well, not probably like definitely more destructive than drugs and alcohol, both to like people and you know maybe to families and to our society and the economic system uh as a whole and it's something that everybody is like really familiar with and almost everybody i know kind of sort of struggles with it a little bit and uh and that is sugar so so with that i don't want to kind of lead it on too much i want to learn all about this project and and how you got into it but first and foremost like we've never had the conversation as to how you got involved with this sugar addiction uh, advocacy advocacy space. And I, I want to hear a little bit about your story and like h- how that came into fruition in your life. Yeah, sure. No, um, it's, uh, I don't think it's any too much different than most people uh, in America or now around the world because we've exported our, our demons elsewhere. But uh you know, I started like a regular kid. My mom was a pretty famous sugar junkie. She loved sugar. It's a, you know, she, her mother died when she was eight and her father told the guy across the street who owned the store that she could have an account. And so she just, you know, sugar was love at that point. And and then she kind of carried that through her life. And Mm. we had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. Literally, we could put as much sugar on our Cheerios or cornflakes as we wanted. And if you didn't get a half an inch or a quarter inch of sugar to scrape up with the milk at the end, you didn't put enough sugar on it. And then it was candy and um, and just like a regular kid. I, I just thought it was, and you know, when you got a mom who's a, who loves sugar as well, and she's got her stash, and you know where it is, you know, you're you're pretty much in stock. You, you know, you got your sugar going. And there's a great quote with uh, Ed Bradley. You can look it up on YouTube, gang. It's a uh, He's uh, talking to Eric Clapton. They're sitting at his treatment center in Antigua. And uh, he says, so, uh, Eric, this uh, addiction stuff started with heroin, right? And Eric Clapton goes, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And he goes, sugar? 
<laughs> and he says, yeah, I, I was five or six years old. I was eating sugar on bread and butter. And I used to have those. We used to have bre bread and butter and sugar sandwiches. I was just talking about that with my wife maybe three days ago. I used to right. love making those bread, butter, yeah, exactly. and sugar. And they were good too, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, you know, candy and soda, and he was talking about it. And then he said, I, I was using it to change my state. And, and I didn't know, no one knew, I don't think, you know, still, you know, most of the societies in the dark that this is affecting your state or your dopamine, your serotonin, that science is just now increasing in the last five years. So fast forward about 13 or 14 years old, I had my first beer and, uh, you know, then I was off to the races. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, so I got sober when I was 28 or yeah, 28 years old. And so I've been sober, you know, over 30 years and I'm, uh, you know, I raised a couple of sugar-free kids. I just, I read a book called Sugar Blues, right? Great book, great story. A guy was getting some coffee at an event and putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee. And a voice from behind him says, I wouldn't have that stuff in my house, let alone my body. And he turned, and you know the voice, obviously, he turns around, it's Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star, and so he ends up marrying her. This is like her, his third, her third or fourth husband. And he wrote this book, Sugar Blues, in the early 80s. And uh, it did well, actually, back then. And I read that book, and I was just fascinated. I mean, I was fascinated with the history, the growth of England, like just like the Sinaloa cartel. I mean, they would go to Africa and pick up slaves. They would go to the Caribbean and pick up rum and sugar. United States and molasses and everything, then come on back and do it all over again and grew into the largest power in the world that, you know, on the back of sugar, basically. Wow. And so that history lesson really was fascinating. But when I start, when I was, you know, I was two or three years sober or whatever, and, and I just literally was obsessed with sugar. And uh, I would drink, I tried to quit caffeine. I drink seven up at every meal. And you know, ice cream, cookies, anything you name it. And basically, in the lexicon of recovery, I basically substituted one drug for another. I substituted sugar for the drugs and alcohol. So that kind of started a, a long journey. Um, they used to call me the weird addiction specialist in the early days of recovery because, you know, they'd say, are you sober, Mike? I'm like, yeah, but and they're like, don't worry about the sugar. And there was just a lot, not a lot of awareness, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I, raised, I uh, talked to my wife at the time and raised my kids sugar-free. So I've raised a couple sugar-free kids from the womb till they were six years old. And they never had sugar of any kind in anything. And uh, so I used my own kids as a gu guinea pig. And, uh, you know, that, that experiment worked. It's a long story. But uh, it's... Uh, but yeah, that's the short version. I mean, I, and then 10 years ago, I picked up the domain sugaraddiction.com and I started part-time and, um, and for the last three or four years, I've been doing it full-time as a coach and just, you know, getting information out, having summits and getting, talking to interviewing scientists like this, you know, on podcasts and on zoom and all that kind of stuff. And, and I got, I became kind of an anthropologist, Tim, of the 12 step movements that are oh, uh, that spawn from OA. See, OA doesn't tell you to name your own abstinence. OA says you can do anything you want. You can choose yeah. any, any food plan you want. And people suffer for 10, 20 years, like going back and forth because they never give up their sugar. But the other four programs, um, 
that are much, much smaller and, you know, hardly in any cities. And they say no flour, no sugar. And those folks succeed if they, you know, hold the, the uh, they follow the, follow the program. And so, you know, with my work over the last uh, four or five years, I, they named me chairman of the Food Addiction Institute, which is a nonprofit filled with boards of a bunch of MDs, PhDs, treatment center owners, that kind of thing. And we're trying to move the idea that sugar biochemically cannot, some people just can't, the research says about a third of folks cannot handle it in their body. And that it's closer to a substance use disorder than it is a, you know, a health problem, a weight problem or whatever, you know, it's really, um, and I've seen it in my work that people are, it's so funny, uh, um, you know, you mentioned your, your stuff about the drug and alcohol, your marketing and stuff, but I've had people that are sober too, and they're 10, and 5, and 20 years, who all of them say that their work quitting sugar was harder than their work quitting drugs and alcohol. I know that sounds hard to believe, but it's absolutely true. People who have real good knowledge of the addiction, and that's what I, I, I found in my early days. It was, it was just seemed identical in my body, like I was... Yeah so much mental time on it and I just wanted to get it out of my body. So anyway, that's the short version. <laughs> I, I can answer any questions around it. I know I probably turned over a few rocks there. No, well, you, you did turn over some rocks, but I, I find that all to be really fascinating because um, I, I want to make sure I, I'm, I want to go on this topic a little bit longer and I do obviously want to talk about the website and about your work because I think that is, is very important, but a big part of my message is about health and about mental clarity as like a form of uh, successful thinking. I, I suppose you could call it. I, I find that our culture is so obsessed with this. I call it like the, the hustle movement, right? Hashtag hustle, like team, yeah. no sleep, hustle 24 seven. Like yep. it's, it's ridiculous. And I, I think it's a lot more harmful than it is good. And like an offshoot of that kind of lifestyle and mentality is poor diet. Mm, and uh, sure. I've just, I've, I've been very lucky that even though my family was, um, we, we struggled to say my mom and my dad just did not mess around when it came to dinner time. And, uh, you know, it's not like we were eating the freshest, most organic stuff, but they just, they just made it a priority, like respect your food, understand that like this food that you're coming from, like is something, you know, like you can't just pop it out of nowhere. Like somebody has to work for it. Sometimes Many times an animal had to die for mm. it. Like understand the relationship with food and your body. And then most importantly, what I've really been learning about over the last three years, probably even more so the last two years um, since my wife has been teaching me about this stuff, but mm. just how food interacts with like your emotions and your, your mental clarity. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, the stuff that you put into your body, I would say is like 70% of just how you feel through mm. the day. And granted, that's a huge uh, generalization. I don't have any like uh, support with that, but it's like, if you don't eat sugar, you 
avoid the processed carbs. Um, I, I eat carbs. I believe in carbs. Um, different conversation, but there's a difference, you know, like white breads and shit like that. There's a difference between a white bread and a sweet potato, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and you, you sleep, you know, like you, you right. don't get sleep deprived. You'll feel really, really great. And out of all of those ones, it's just this, this ultra dependency on sugar, both from like an addictive standpoint, but also from like a feel good standpoint, you know, because it tastes so good and it makes you feel so good. And it's like, man, I'm sad. Let me get a Milky Way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, I, I did really good. Like I deserve this, this bowl of ice cream or something. It, it's powerful. And, and through this whole personal evolution, but also evolution that I've observed with, just people making more people are doing more and people are unhappy. And there's just a huge correlation between like, um, poor diet and high sugar consumption and like unhappiness. And it seems so clear to me, but what is it going to take for that message to really just permeate our, our society? Well, man, you are like hitting the nail on the head. There is no better description of the missing link of what I do and what we need to do as a per, as an individual, as individuals, and as a society to move this thing forward. And yeah. it all revolves around the 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 lack of respect. I don't know if you remember Rodney Dangerfield. Dangerfield used to say, "I get no respect." Right? <laughs> of course. And so. You know, sugar gets no respect. And now in the last five years with uh, Dr. Lustig and, uh, you know, a lot of the main kind of uh, researcher, Dr. Cantley out of Cornell, a lot of the main researchers, Dr. Palmer out of Harvard, all these guys are now studying the dopamine receptors, the serotonin receptors, the oxytocin, the norepinephrine, the adrenaline, all of the things that sugar affects, right? And I know this. Uh, anecdotally over the last 30 30 years. Mm -hmm. But now in the last five years, for sure, the science is just accelerated. Uh, Just interviewed Dr. Lustig and he said, they have found the toxic metabolite, which is in the fructose, you know, glucose or sugar, table sugars, half fructose, half glucose, right? Mm -hmm. And so here we are, we're affecting these, and he's got a book called Hacking the American Mind too, which is amazing, because he talks exactly about this, where you know, we are so used to pumping our dopamine receptors that are poor. And dopamine's like the sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, the hit you need to get for gambling or, you know, that, that all of the drugs hit the, the alcohol and the sugar and the heroin and everything. But the serotonin and the oxytocin are, are, are receptors that give you peace and they give you calm and they give you, you know, the ability to pair bond with oxytocin and stuff. And what they call it in the science is down-regulating the receptors, right? They down-regulate as you manually, physically manipulate it with a product. These, these feel-good, whether it's God or nature, doesn't matter what your belief system is, you know, we were not meant to manually manipulate these things that evolved over a million years to make us feel calm, right? And to be a reward system for searching out food and sex and water, but they've just been adulterated and manipulated so much by uh, products. 
And that's where no one seems to be drawing the parallels or the, you know, they're not saying, you know, you can give this stuff to a one-year-old. Theoretically, it's illegal and there's no, no one's going to think morally. Sure. It's not like giving a cigarette to a, a one-year-old, right? But it's like, this is affecting how they feel. This is affecting their state, as Eric Clapton said. This is affecting, and they just, because it's free, ubiquitous, and universally available at almost no cost everywhere. I mean, you go in the doctor's office and load your pockets up with free candy. You know? So it's just like they, no one's paying attention to the stuff that you're saying about the, how we feel and how it makes us feel. And that's really how you get in into the mess and why you can't get out of it. Because when you try, you're going to go through withdrawals, right? And people don't think the withdrawals are as serious as drugs and alcohol. Well, I'm here to tell you they're worse, right? For, mo for a lot of people, they're much worse and much harder because society doesn't see it as an, a big problem yet, you know? So anyway, that's, I get off on a rant, but that, that's kind of the, you know, the, the science behind exactly what you were saying. I find it the, the most disturbing part about the sugar addiction in our country is, is what you mentioned is, is with kids mm -hmm. that don't know any better. And it's always a tough thing to talk about because what, what you're subliminally saying is you're saying that like people are bad parents mm -hmm. when you talk about kids and sugar consumption and like, Yep. It's tough. You, I almost feel like I need to dance around it because I'm not trying to offend anybody. But there's just a reality that people don't want to talk about when their their kids like sucking down these these juice juice boxes and like you know sugary cereals in the morning and sodas for Christ's sake. I mean, like, gosh, yep. I, I don't know what the average kid drinks in terms of like soda consumption, but like. I think it's higher it's than it's gotta all. be a lot, man. It's a lot, really. It is a lot. <laughs> it's gotta be a lot. So um so let's let's kinda end this this topic on on an optimistic viewpoint. Like the work that you're doing and the message that you're trying to carry, what is the way out of this? What is the way out of like this obesity problem, this dialysis, this uh huge business of dialysis uh clinics popping up like right. uh, the sugar lobbyists I, I i think it can be said that the sugar lobbyist is is bigger than the oil lobby um i'm not sure about that I'll, I'll fact check it but i'm almost positive that um there's more money in sugar lobbying than there is in oil lobbying and <laughs> so like how do we get out of this what is our what is well, the first that's step? a sixty four thousand dollar question it's uh yeah you know, some of the more learned folks than me, uh, you know, I consider myself a foot soldier in this, getting the information out. And But I do like the question and I do like to ponder it. And I'm trying to grow this thing so that I can disseminate the information. But I, I, I believe in 30 years, they're going to say, you know, you used to be able to give kids sugar. And, and <laughs> I think that the awareness, I think we're at the beginning of a tectonic shift of this like seatbelts in cars and condoms in bathrooms and smoking in public places, those kinds of things that are uh, dry drinking and driving, you know, things that society accepted readily before until the science started to say, maybe not. And so here we are 
in the very early days of the science, the brain science, as we were mentioning, and the uh, health for sure. It's not. It's just not a sustainable thing. There's some famous folks in both, well, more in in Great Britain, but in Canada as well. But that where they have, uh, you know, socialized medicine where the government's paying the freight where it's just not a sustainable thing anymore. They cannot, they, they, it'll be taking up 100% of the taxes and I can't remember in 20 or 30 years, right? Mm. On this trajectory. So there's gotta be, something's gotta give. You're talking about like the healthcare. Yeah, the um, healthcare, right. Yeah, like I don't know. Diabetes, bubble, about, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah got it. That's just not a sustainable model anymore because of metabolic syndrome and, and the whole cluster of Alzheimer's and, and diabetes and everything that they believe sugar is part and parcel of a cause for. And so every there's people working on it, but again, it's a, there's no real stigma to it yet, except for the folks who have, you know, are in the underground 12 step kind of programs. They, they realize it and other folks like that Mm -hmm. and you and I, I guess. And, and so really I think it is just a, uh, it's a, it's a, the goal, like I said, I I think of myself as a foot soldier in this kind of, walking towards the education, the grassroots. Uh, I don't know that, you know, there's been some sugar taxes in New York and Philadelphia, different places. Yeah. And in Great, Great Britain and Australia, different places have instituted these taxes like the tobacco taxes. And I think that the grass, personally, I believe the grassroots part is more important at this juncture. I think, I do all, too. Yeah, I think all that's going to happen eventually. Uh, I really do. I think what, changed the tide in tobacco and really caused a serious downturn in tobacco use was the tobacco litigation, which is coming in big food and big sugar. It's just, how is it going to play out? You know, that was like a trillion dollar advertising campaign on how bad it was for tobacco. And this is going to be a trillion dollar advertising campaign on this. And, you know, but no one knows, no one knows when that tipping point is going to be. So you've got to keep working at it just and just educating yeah. one person at a time. Yeah, I, uh, there was, I'm glad that you brought up that tipping point because I, I can't remember what the guy's name is. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he mentioned that um, the rising healthcare costs are actually one of, uh, it's, it's going to come to me. I picked a hell of a time to forget what it is, but basically like looming threats to our country. And okay. the first three are like, you know, China and Russia and terrorism. And then number four is um, the obesity epidemic, just because like, sure. no matter how much money we make, like we're not going to be able to sustain. Um, it's, it's basically those big three. It's dialysis, heart disease, and diabetes. And it's yeah. almost all three of those are di- directly related to, to sugar, man. So it's like, man, so I, I agree as somebody that's been involved in like, and yourself as well in sort of a grassroots movement, um, all of the successful social movements in this country have started at the grassroots level and then eventually expand out. So I I think that we both know that's, that's how it's, that's how it's going to go. Um, I, (laughs) I gotta make sure not to get into this rabbit hole because sometimes I get preachy about it, but it's just, I really believe in it. I feel like people could benefit from like this one simple change in their habits and their lifestyle so much. And so with that, let's talk a little bit more about your work um, online with sugaraddiction.com. First off, like 
when did you decide that a, a website was was the way to do this? Because when you and I talk about it, you actually have like a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience with with content writing and copywriting and um, like you're you're really good at it so much so that I think I uh, underestimated you at first and like did you just learn all of that stuff through trial and error or how did this whole sugaraddiction.com thing come into play? Yeah. In the early days of the dot-com stuff, I sold, I was kind of what they call a super affiliate. Um, I, I would aggregate names in verticals in whatever. Um, and I ended up in software, mostly uh, open source kind of software and that stuff got downloaded and, and you know, we would follow up with other products and that kind of stuff. So I kind of fell in love with it in the late 90s and then got involved in it more in, the, you know, as I grew. And it was, it's been my full-time living for 15 or so years, maybe more, but at least that. And so I kind of, I, I mean, I think I had bought the domain like 10 or 12 years ago or whatever. And I, I went really slow at the beginning because, uh, you know, sugar and uh, the sugar lobby was powerful and, they, you know, they were actually running Google AdWords to, uh, to this page that sugar addiction is not real kind of thing. And, you know, you don't want to be poking the elephant in the eye when you're small. So, um, yeah, so no, I've been around the, that internet stuff for a little bit. Both my kids are high level internet consultants. One of them works for a quantum computer company. So, you know, it's kind of the family business. Oh, hold point. on. Which one? <laughs> Ion Q. Ion Q quantum like quantum computing yeah. makes my brain explode. Yeah, well, he's believe me, I, I'm not exact exactly sure what he does, but he, <laughs> he does he's he's in the marketing part. He's in the he's in the ability to make the message palatable both for investors. Their investors are Amazon and Google. Yeah, <laughs> so you know it's like he's been they. Anyway, and his brother works for the largest internet consultancy in the world, ThoughtWorks. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've been around it for a while, and I and I see I, I've always I've always been in love with the internet from the late '90s when I just read everything that came out, and uh, like it was like a soap opera to me. I just loved it. You know, I loved the internet stuff, and I just see it as a way to reach more people, to reach. But I was wrong in a lot of ways, Tim, in that. Um, I thought that if I were just to disseminate the information, seem, similar to what we're doing, that people would just read it and say, okay, right? And they just quit. But that's not what happened, and that's not what continues to happen. There is a necessity, uh, as, one of, as the founder of the Food Addiction Institute says, like any recovery, this thing takes an inordinate amount of support. So I had to start building community around it, right? I had to have it online. And you know, we're not to the point of in-person yet, but you know, we have real strong online communities. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's been an evolution of learning why and how to move the evolution of recovery in general online. Because I'm just really excited about people like yourself and um, you know, your Sober Nation stuff and all people moving uh, their recoveries of all kinds. I think anonymity is a thing that's kind of played its, played its cards. It was necessary at one time in our evolution, but today we need to you know, get the information out and we need to, if people are famous or uh, you know, famous movie stars, or they need to just 
be honest about it and be open about it. And, mm-hmm. and sugar is no different, I don't think, uh, in that regard. It's actually maybe more necessary because they don't really have they, they, what's called the new, advoca- new recovery advocacy movement is about living your recovery out loud, but they don't really have that for sugar and food. This really doesn't exist yet. And actually we're trying to create that so that people can get out there and talk about it that, you know, I used to be a hundred, I don't know how you hide that you used to be a hundred pounds heavier, but you know, and why that I'm a sugar addict or I'm a carb addict or whatever, that they'd be willing to say those things in public online in social media so that someone else would have the courage to you know, step up and do it that way. So, yeah, that's my, uh, my internet kind of. Kind of well, you, you mentioned the most important word for me, at least. Um, I have a little bit of like technical online marketing knowledge, but for the most part, um, it's all about building community for me. Yeah. And if you can find a subject matter that does three things, I guess. One, helps people because there's no reason for anybody to get involved unless it's going to make their life better. You know, like call it selfishness, whatever. But you have to, you have to like make somebody's life better in some way. Um, two, makes like a, a mechanism in which people can support each other. And then... The third one I find is make it so that people have an outlet to tell their own story because it's actually that story which kind of launches the machine. You know, I, you, you and I have, have spoken a good amount about this and I'm a real, I'm fascinated with storytelling. I think that in almost in like our evolution as human beings, like the ability to tell stories is, is a much more important survival mechanism than I think we give it credit for, you know, like telling stories is, is how people know that that rustling in the bushes could be like a saber toothed tiger. You know, it's, it's how we communicate that with each other. So when you give people um, an opportunity to tell a story about themselves and about the, the progress that they've made, about anything really like it could be getting better with your diet and sugar it could be about fitness it could be like comic book collections i had a guy on a podcast uh last week who uh is he he does like product reviews and he builds community around people that like to hike and that's it and then like the stories that he tells are people that are writing these write-ups of these trails that they've gone through and like the journey that they had as long as you give people an outlet to tell a story, um, I, at least in my experience, like I'm not the most technical marketer. Um, I, I like to let the people kind of do the work, but I think that really is, is the ticket. And I, I, I'm getting a little long-winded here, so forgive me, but I was simply commenting on the fact that I think that you're right about that, where there's so much out there on the internet that just says like create content, create content. You know what I mean? Like whatever that means. But I think you can create all the content that you want, but if you don't have the storytelling, which in my view is kind of like the catapult, um, other people aren't going to share the message for you. Well, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, it's been an evolution. I learned it the hard way and I think maybe you did too, but I'm a huge fan that uh, 
you know, they got to get these stories out, which is basically the core of the new recovery advocacy movement, which is um, living your, your recovery out loud. And this, like I said, the idea that the sugar and food and processed carbs addiction stuff is not something anyone's ready to talk about. I mean, you mentioned like uh, people have to look at their kids and how they fed them. They have to look at themselves. They have to give up their, their lover, their, their, their favorite treat. Mm-hmm. They, they're just not ready to do it. And then when they are, when there's a bottom and, and I'm not a big bottom fan, you know, I'm not, I, I think you can stop the elevator anytime and get off on the first floor without crashing the basement. You know, and I, I just think that it's, it's so important that people that today are called influencers, people that have a, uh, um, a platform already, uh, if they truly are an addict or, or, you know, have a problem with sugar flour that they just need to, there, it's not a weakness that they would talk about it. Right. And that people feel when they're in a group, whether it's a Facebook group, a Slack group or whatever, they feel like they're, they're not alone, even though they may even be alone in their family at work, whatever, they don't feel alone and they have the courage to keep going. So that's, that's how the community plays into it. What have you been doing online to build that community? How, how is it, is it turning into something for you and, and for the group or are you still kind of working to, to get it started? No, no, we've got a, a Facebook page, which I, 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 it's, so, it's funny because the Facebook page does not have as much engagement. That's yeah. your, I mean, here, this, is your, this is your marketing thing, so people understand. It doesn't have as much engagement as I like. But we have a private group that is from my coaching and the people that bought that low-end you know, product, kind of informational product that I sold for a long time, and I still do. But it's not the product. I mean, I can give you all the information. I give you all the books in the world but we've got 2,200 people in that group now who are the most loving, kind, uh, supportive people you've ever seen. You know, people with couple, you know, years, literally years um, free of sugar because they, you know, were willing to get into a private group kind of thing. So that's been a, that's been a, an eye opener to me. Right. And there's a little bit of a, in your, you know, someone's building a business out there in anything, you know, there's a little bit of pump, pump priming, you know, you can't expect that the first day when you got 30 people or five people that it's going to be so active or there's going to be a lot of engagement, but it does over time grow if you're committed to it. So that's been my experience on how to put those together. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you just mention a little bit of patience, uh, without going on another rant, that's one thing that in terms of at least building companies that I I think that social media may have jaded as well, just because you can get the instant gratification of like posting a picture and getting some likes, but that doesn't always translate into something like sustainable, you know, and something real. And, and when I say real, um, what I mean is like, uh, you've built an emotional bond with somebody. It's, mm-hmm. it's weird to think of companies in that way with emotional bonds, but like the most successful companies in the world, that's all they really do. It's just like a slight emotional bond where you feel like you can kind of lean on it, you know, like, mm-hmm. gosh, I guess Apple is the best example. Um, it's got a personality, you know, you, you feel like you're expressing yourself with that. And, and I watch your group 
and I watch uh, what I watch the people in there and how supportive they are of each other. Mm. And it really, really does feel like a tribe, you know, yeah. using that Apple example, it feels like a, a bond of people that are all just passionate about what it is that they're doing and, and talking about and the, the direction that they're going. Mm. I'll tell you a little story you'd like, please. So during the summit, we, you know, we interview all the experts and everything. And uh, so in the middle of the summer, this is where we got to get started. Greg Glassman, you know who he is? The founder of CrossFit. He no, made, didn't he just quit social media though? Correct. He, yeah. he, he, he made the news, like just as we were about to get started, um, he quit all social media, pulled all, of, all the games, all, everything off the social media. And he did it because Facebook had whacked a group in uh, South Africa called Banting. And Banting is the same thing as kind of like Atkins, but it's low, uh, low, high fat, low carb, right? Similar diet, right? Kind of like keto, almost exactly like keto, but it's called Banting, which is the first guy in the England in this like 1800s to talk about reduction of carbs. So that's the guy's name, Banting. And so anyway, they had a Banting group with 1.6 million people in it. Largest Facebook group in South Africa. I think it's the largest Facebook group. Uh, it's not the largest Facebook group, but private group. And we, I said, I got to have this woman. And well, anyway, they Facebook whacked them. They thought they were given bad information, but then they put them back up. So they're back up again. And the founder, uh, Rita Venter, Rita Fernandez Venter, was one of our guests, and she's just an amazing woman. And she realized that you know she was able to help millions. It didn't start out with millions of people. People wrote bad, you know, said they were crazy, and that made their group grow by hundreds of thousands. You know. <laughs> So, and they talk about a loving group, you know, uh, they're helping her belief is that a lot of people live on very, very little money in most of Africa. And so she's helping folks do this. Uh, and it's just incredible. They got like 20 moderators, incredible story. So, and it all started, I mean, the reason I knew about it was, uh, Greg Glassman was protesting the, the whacking of that. So. Now she's back up, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's interesting. I, I'm totally fascinated like you about this subject of how, how does self-help, how does recovery in general, it's kind of my thing, yeah. uh, move online, right? And I've got a couple of things that I'm thinking about, working on. It just took too fascinating to me, really too fascinating. So. Yeah, I, I I could go on and on about it and I'm, I'm not going to do it on the podcast. <laughs> but like I just spent so much time thinking about it and sure. just wondering what's going to come next. So uh, this, this transition is perfect because you had just mentioned the summit mm. and you're wrapping up the kick sugar summit. And it was, we were talking before we started recording, it was the most successful event that you've done. And, yeah. and I know that you've worked really, really hard on it so um it's a shame we couldn't get this recorded earlier because i, I would have liked to give it a plug uh before that the summit actually launched but i know oh, that you're gonna have many many more over the years to come so now that we have a chance like just tell everybody about it what, what you're doing uh some of the guests that you've had come to speak and and what they can expect if they go 
Yeah, they can. They, they still go to kicksugarsummit.com and leave their name. We'll be in touch with them on the next one. This is our fourth annual, and we hooked up with a group called Low Carb USA, and uh, they're, they, they do their events in person, and we kind of end up being their, one of their marketing uh, arms or whatever. And we just had the best of the best, Dr. Robert Lustig, who I've mentioned a couple of times, Gary Tobbs, who wrote the book, The Case Against Sugar, very famous book. Um, Dr. Tim Noakes out of South Africa, um, who fought, they fought the government for four years to keep his medical license for talking about this. The same thing happened in Australia to a guy named Dr. Fetke, Gary Fetke, and uh, he was on. We had Pete Evans from The Magic Pill on Netflix, which was awesome. He was just really, and we hardly talked about sugar. We talked about what you and I are talking about, you know, mm -hmm. personal development, making your own decisions, those kind of things. Um, and Lewis Cantley, I mean, we, it just goes on, people from Harvard. It was, it was one of the people were so excited. I think it was, it almost ended up being a keto summit because folks were uh, of that ilk from low carb, our sponsors, and a lot of fanboys, but... Mm -hmm. But still, it was peep the science. We called it the science edition. And it was everybody uh, had studied and had sci scientific stuff to bring. Uh, one guy was a carnivore, Dr. Sean Baker, world record holder in a couple things. I mean, it, it goes on and on. It's just the most, you can still go there probably and check out the speakers. But it was just one of the most exciting. I got, it's like a guy who, uh, you know, watch professional baseball and then got to interview all his favorite stars, you know, because hmm. I'd been studying these guys forever. And then I got to interview them all or not. I got a co-host. She interviewed some of them, but yeah, I got to interview a bunch of them and uh, ask them questions that I really wanted to hear about, you know, things that I wanted to know about. So like what? Well, I, I'm very curious about a, a, a tangent or a uh, parallel to what we've been talking about, which is fructose. And fructose is, a, is the uh, other half of the table sugar molecule, right? Mm -hmm. and fructose is the sweet thing in sugar, in, in, uh, in fruit, right, in nature. And yep. there's, no, there's no poisonous things that contain fructose. So we seek it out, honey, uh, fruit. But hundreds of years ago, a banana you couldn't eat because it had so many seeds in it. Apples, yeah. little crab apples. So they've been hybridized for fruit, for fructose. And Gary Fetke, the guy I mentioned from Tasmania, Australia there, he has nutfructose.com. And, you know, he's been preaching about this forever. And so I got to ask Dr. Lustig point blank. I said, he didn't even let me finish. I said, Dr. Lustig, do you think fructose could be a psychoactive drug that was in such small supply 100, 200, 300 years ago until they hybridized it that it, it you know, it was, it was, made evolutionarily to have us eat the stuff so that we disperse the seeds as we went along our day. And, and he said, absolutely. He didn't let me finish. He said, absolutely. And we have a lot of science on that. And so, yeah, I mean, the idea that if you make it crystalline, you make fructose crystalline from sugar, it's like the coca leaf, you get a different kind of thing when you chew on the coca leaf than when you snort it up your nose, right? <laughs> After you know, it's made into crystal. I don't know what you're talking powder. about. Right, exactly. After it's made into a crystalline powder, right? And so the same thing here. I mean, if you were to eat a, a heirloom banana or an old crab apple, you get very little sweetness. But today, those things are just big fat sugar bombs. And that is ends up 
in my work, one of the most controversial things about fruit, right? Because, oh, how can fruit be bad for you, right? Well, for some folks, it leads you back to the processed stuff. If you're overdosing on heavy, um, you know, mangoes and bananas, things that are very high in fructose. So that, I mean, again, it is a little bit of a rabbit hole and it's probably way out for your audience because they don't want to even look at the idea they got to give up fruit tomorrow or anything. But it is fascinating. And I think that the, the information and the science is there or coming. Anyway. That, that is a total fascinating topic. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even, well, I'm guessing I'm going to touch on it, but worrisome because of where this little rabbit hole could lead. But I was getting into like a weird little GMO debate the other day, or it was a little while ago, probably like nine months ago. Um, I remember saying, I was like, don't you understand that like most of what you eat is already genetically modified. It's just now that like we can do it in the lab, you think that it's different. And honestly, I wasn't taking a stance on like GMOs or anything. I was just trying to prove the point that like you, like, like you said, um, food today or even corn, just for that matter, like, sure. or wheat, like wheat in, in a lot of instances is the most successful organism out of the entire plant. Uh, I don't know what you call it, like out of all the plants, basically, in that it almost manipulated us into spreading it as opposed to the other way around. I, I read this fascinating book called Sapiens where he was talking about the domestication of wheat and how uh, we consider the agricultural revolution as like when we man- manipulated wheat and when we were able to form societies, he was like, no, no, no. It's like, it's the other way around. Like wheat manipulated us. <laughs> and it's true because it uses us to spread itself. Right. So sure it gets kind of out there and it gets kind of, you know, deep and heady, but just the concept of food changing itself so that we would like it more so that it can spread more. That's what life does. You know, that's just, you you can't deny that. So um, I could see how that would be a fascinating conversation and like, wow, you know, like never thought of it that way that a banana turned into a banana so that, the fructose would crystallize and become like more appealing to us so that we could spread it. It's it's an amazing picture seeing the two side by side. It's you couldn't eat it. I mean, you could. Oh, you ever see what they look like? It's well, obviously you have, but it's, it's wild. They're like, you're going to get a lot of seeds in your mouth while you're eating it. Yeah. And what are some other ones? Like I think pomegranates or apples are obviously apples for sure. Yeah. Everything, oranges, everything has been hybridized. I mean, seedless oranges, come on. You can't can't have a seedless product (laughs) in nature. Is it going to continue? And uh, the interest, he saw, he's had another, he's got a thing on YouTube about it, um, about this fruit thing. Uh, Gary Fetke, you guys would like it. He, uh, he says there was the most brilliant marketing campaign about 30 years ago where they combine fruits and vegetables before mm. it used to be the green grocer and you would get your vegetables there and fruit was a treat. It was like a dessert. It was a little bit just up once in a while, Absolutely. but they combined them too as a health thing, fruits and vegetables. Right. And it was very, very successful. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I try and avoid those conversations in the early days because, mm-hmm. you know, people are just not ready for that yet. But Yeah, because uh, you got to take your little wins too, right? Like right. eating an apple instead of a Big Mac is correct. 
is still a victory. But yeah, fr- fruit is fruit is always a weird one because no matter how you break it down, it's it's sugars, you know, and like there's debate about this too, but a lot of people think that the body can't really tell the difference between no, all the different kind of sugars. It gets processed the same way. Um, so it's, it certainly can't tell. And I think that there's a loophole. This is another, we get, I don't want to get too many rabbit holes going, but you know, the, the growth of, um, and I don't know if I should mention the brand name, but let's just put it to the, the flavored waters industry Yeah. yeah. Uh, under the little loophole of natural flavors that makes it sweet. I think is crystal and fructose that it's, they say it's natural quote unquote, because it's in fruit, but I think it's crystalline fructose and that's why they're selling so well. And uh, I, I've yet to get them tested, but I really believe that. So, because it's just too sweet. I mean, when I even put a sip of it in my mouth, it's like, because I haven't had sugar in so long. I mean, I, I know that there's some sort of sweetener. Yeah. Natural or unnatural. I don't care. It's sweetener. <laughs> You know, and it's not fake because it can't be like, quote unquote, like a xylitol or a whatever, because sure. they, they wouldn't be able to get sleep, uh, sneak through the loophole and say natural flavors. <laughs> so it's just, it's crazy. You got to really pay attention. And, and it's that eternal vigilance that scares people, Tim. And they're, it, it's like 80, I don't know, it's like 75 or 80, 84, some crazy number of all packaged food products on the shelf have sugar. In them. Like, oh yeah. Well, that, that. That's tough as well, because for people that are even trying to do the right thing, you know, it's, you're just constantly bombarded by these, these inviting packages with, I don't know, bright colors and smiling faces and little fucking cartoons and stuff. And, and it's tough, but, but to wrap this thing all back up through all the things that I've been through in my life. Um, I'm not like completely sugar-free. I've done months without sugar. I've, I've tried keto a couple of times. I, I've experimented because I, I like seeing how it affects me. I personally feel better when I have some potatoes and carrots and broccoli and, and sure. um, uh, carbohydrate-rich type foods like that. Mm-hmm. But, but I firmly believe that out of all of the things I've ever been through, if you can cut sugar out of your life, it is the single most beneficial thing that, that I think you could do. Like your body does not need it. Mm-hmm. It's not like, it's not something that it needs. And it's, it's like almost toxic. You know, I hate to be one of those guys. Like, no, oh, you shouldn't need no, that. No, you know, but It is toxic. It's proven. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely toxic. It's like borderline poisonous. So mm-hmm. And so it's the sweet thing. You know, one of the things that's uh, uh, similar to the, sh- the, the fruit story is that it's enculturation. You know, it's just worked its way into society over yeah. 300 years. I mean, before only kings and queens got to have just a little because there was very little around. Yeah. And so now everyone can have 150 pounds a year. And, you know, when it's affecting you're making you feel better, it's like everybody is. And it's just a, it grew culturally as a celebration, as birthdays and love and family and togetherness. And it's just the entanglement is so deep. Sure. Walking it out it, or reversing the, the tidal wave is going to be tough. You know, it's going to be a long process. I agree, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you and I have 
built the relationship that we did because it was it was a part of my life before you and I started talking about it. Mm. Um, but now that I see this other online community that you've been building, and I just it really makes me feel optimistic that this is something that we will take the take control over as best as we can. And I think people's lives are really, really going to change for the better. And uh, I think years from now, like a lot of people are going to thank you for at the very least giving them an introduction to like a new kind of lifestyle. Oh, that's why I do this work, Tim. I get those emails every day now. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, every day people are like, that's so cool. I started on the last summit or I started, you know, took your course or, you know, I've been in your group or whatever. But they're in the group too. I mean, they, couple people coming up on a year today and talking about it, man. Well, I'm going to link that group up in the show notes. Sure. I'm going to link the page in the show notes. Um, we got sugaraddiction.com. Yep. We got kicksugarsummit.com. And then last, what's the website for the food addiction Institute that you were talking about? I, I think that's important. Yeah, foodaddictioninstitute.org. And what we need there is for the folks that are listening, if they know someone is, Folks that are in 12-step programs or folks that are underground or quiet about it, but are, are kind of on the same page with you and I, that they've been listening, you know, we need your help in, in your social media and, and that kind of stuff to spread that message. we got yeah. a great 40-page booklet there that helps you if you're, you know, if you think you're a food addict. I love it. I will do everything I can uh, to help you and, and spread in your message. And man, Mike, I just want to say again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's like, uh, I don't often get educated uh, podcast hosts. <laughs> They're like, they, they ask all the questions that, you know, that I'm talking about all day, every day. They're, they're not in depth. So I know, man. And I keep telling myself that I'm going to try harder to like focus more on the entrepreneurial marketing type stuff. But like with this podcast, I just keep, it's great because it just gives you a chance to have open conversations about important, interesting shit. And I yeah, just, yeah. you know, I just love to learn about it. So like having people like you on is, is really, um, it helps me, you know? So for, for that reason, I want to thank you again and, uh, and we'll keep in touch, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Thanks, man. All right, brother. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.